Welcome to Beyond Synth. Please note, Beyond Synth is an explicit program and may contain inappropriate language. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Hey there, welcome to the show. My name is Andy Last. You are listening to Beyond Synth, episode 105. The guest today is Tangerine Dream. That is correct. Of course, you know, Tangerine Dream now is not quite the same thing as it used to be. Tangerine Dream is a group that has morphed over time under the guidance of... Edgar Frozy, who started that group a very long time ago, and unfortunately, he passed away uh, two years ago now, I think. I think it was in 2015. And uh, these are the dudes who are carrying on the Tangerine Dream legacy, although I wanted to say Ulrich, who also makes amazing music, um, but it, I think it's pronounced Ulrich or something like that. It's a crazy way because, you know, it's a German sound. And Torsten are the guys who I am uh, chatting with today from Tangerine Dream. We listen to a lot of classic songs that I dig and uh, they tell stories about Edgar and some other stuff. So it's a good show. And it's a pretty long show today because we got Keeping It 80s with Marco Merrick coming up. And uh, we're pretty much just going to go right to that because uh, the interview already runs pretty long. So it's going to be a long show today. So today... Uh, we got a new sponsor here, all right? It's Piccolo Joe. Today's show is brought to you by Piccolo Joe. Piccolo Joe creates vintage-style T-shirts that draw inspiration from 80s and 90s films, art, and fashion. T-shirts are a staple in any man or woman's wardrobe. But for Piccolo Joe, it is more than just a t-shirt. Their aim is to create vibrant and eye-popping designs that are bound to get people talking. But wait, that's not all. For every new collection, there will be one limited edition t-shirt. And once they're gone, that's it. Game over, man. Game over. That's Piccolo Joe. P-I-C-C-O-L-O-J-O-E dot com. Check it out. There are some funny ones there. It's a new company. They're just starting up, but uh, there are some really hilarious designs. Might I suggest you check out the uh, <laughs> the Bishop Pinata? I don't want to say any more than that. Other than that shirt makes me laugh every time I look at that stupid picture. <laughs> That's Piccolo Joe. All right, let's uh, listen to a track, and then uh, and after that we'll go uh, keep it eighties with Marco Merrick. So what do we got here? All right, this is a track by the G. Uh, we'll be giving away some download codes for his new album. I think we're doing that during the Marco Merrick segment. So this is a fun little track. This is The G with Malibu Nights. Radio edit.
And that was The G with Malibu Nights, the radio edit. And that's a fun track. Uh, We're going to be giving away some download codes later in the show. There's going to be a trivia question. So you're going to have to answer it and email me, and then I'll give you a download code. I've got a few to give away, and uh, that should be fun. So let's uh, go to Keeping It 80s with Marco Merrick. Marco What do you say? Hey, synthheads. Hello, everyone. How you doing, people? You know, like, how yeah. many times can you, without sounding like a fucking idiot? I hate that shit. It's, it's like, fuck, it's like cringeworthy. Yeah, I have a damn thing written down. Welcome to Synthetic Sundays, episode 32. You know, it's like, what do you, uh, this week I've got a great show lined up. Yeah, it's fuck off. Yeah, eventually I, I gave up trying to be creative, and now I literally just make sure I say the exact same thing. Like, I just start with the same sentence and... <laughs> Because it made things so much easier, especially when trying to come up with an, a catchphrase for the end. Like, when you have it, hmm. that's the thing I noticed. It's like, um, I don't really like to be a slave to uh, a format, mm-hmm. but it's so nice to have a format because then you can break from it, and it's fun to break the format. But then when you don't have any ideas, you know what to do. So, for a long time, I thought it was cool to not have a format and not know what time the interview plays during a show and not know this and that. And then eventually I realized it makes things so much better to have a template episode and then if I feel like breaking it I will and then if I don't my brain can go on autopilot oh so much the same dude so much the same yes I'd have the format I'd have that segment first an interview then quality time with shit house and then another interview and then you know like I just have that order but then like then one week I go you know what I'm gonna change it up and I'm gonna fucking just switch everything around yeah and then it's so exciting right it's like oh my god it's all different like <laughs> well we should uh, we should introduce the the segment here uh, well hang on are you recording already what do you mean today I've decided to <laughs> to cut in halfway through <laughs> what yeah. oh, did I say something <laughs> stupid oh man what are you doing um, it was only it was only that part where you were just like Rick shit eyes is a fucking count <laughs> but apart from that, that. Was, oh man <laughs> You better not edit it. To, you better not edit it to make it sound like I'm saying that, Andy. Fucking hell, man! I don't know if I trust you. Anyways, you should trust me because I wouldn't do that to you. Well, so yeah, keeping it '80s with Marco. That's that's me. I'm here. Yeah, we're keeping it '80s with Marco Merrick, <laughs> and uh, Marco is here all the way from Australia. How you doing today, Andy? I'm doing all right. Did you do any? <laughs> <laughs> Did you do anything good for Mother's Day? Anything nice or what? Come on. Well, my mother is uh, traveling at the moment, so I didn't uh, didn't have to do anything on that end. But what about your other half? She's obviously... Did you give her some appreciation, at least? But you mean my clone? <laughs> no. No, not your clone. <laughs> I, I refer to my clone as my other half. Oh. My wife is the old ball and chain. <laughs> yeah, but she'd love that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Well, anyway. My, my wife literally just opened the door and gave me a look. Really? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's perfect. <laughs> Technically, I'm the ball and chain because she's the one with the proper job and I'm doing a podcast for like 100 bucks a month. I so. know, you never leave the house. You're probably white as fuck. I can see it in the, uh, you know, I see you trying to put that bronzer on, but it's not really working, Andy. <laughs> 
What are you talking about? Anyways, man, you're having a lovely day there. It's uh, 10 a.m. here, which means it's 10 p.m. there. That's correct. So you already had your day. Yeah, I had a really good day, Andy. I just got back from the gym, had a killer workout. Cook up some chicken, and I'm, I'm, I'm feeling good, buddy. Feeling real good. That's right. Maybe we should start working in some uh, some recipe stuff. <laughs> Ever since we did the, the trailer for the Marco Merrick segment, people are more concerned about uh, your cooking tips than anything else. Right? Yeah, we could we could work that in. How'd you do that chicken? How did I do the chicken? Ah, oh, it's pretty boring. I just, um, it's a boring recipe. But uh, if I have more time to prepare, I'll, I'll um, you know, I'll come up with some good stuff. Um, but, no, this was just a real quick thing. I just threw some chicken drumsticks um i put them in the frying pan um i seared them like on each side to get them nice and crispy i applied plenty of salt on it and then i put spices all over it i've got my special marco spices you know and uh and then i put them in the oven for about 20 minutes to cook thoroughly so yeah now are the marco spices a secret yes i can't tell you about the marco spices <laughs> jazzy knows about them though oh yeah <laughs> uh, hmm <laughs> it's kind of weird, isn't it? <laughs> Maybe cut that out. Um, well, no, at least uh, no, at least you've got a damn recipe. I mean, like that's one step ahead. Like when I make food, like if I'm making chicken, for example, mm-hmm. you know what I've been doing lately what? is is fucking Dijon mustard. Is like just smearing it all with Dijon mustard and like pepper and salt and fucking. Oh, good. I don't like mustard. Oh, you know, yeah. I was never really big into, like, Dijon mustard. I'm, I like mustard, like, regular, like, yeah. sweet stuff. Americans do, I know. But, uh, man, the fucking... Uh, I'll just let that slide. <laughs> I'll, uh, the, uh, <laughs> the Dijon mustard, I wasn't a huge fan of, but when cooking, mm-hmm. when I, like, smear it on, like, a fucking... Uh, uh, what do you call it when you soak the meat in a bunch of flavoring? Like, like you baste it. You baste it. Is that called basting? Yeah, basting. Like you baste. Yeah. What? No. What is it called when you marinate? Marin- marinate? Oh, marinating. You're talking about marinating. Okay, marinate then. Yeah. That's when like you soak like you soak a steak like overnight in a bunch of spices oh, and stuff. Oh yes, that's marination. Marinate. Yeah. Yeah. It's anyway, like that. With like with it. But anyway, it makes it uh, taste good. <laughs> Sorry, I don't, I don't know why I'm talking about this. <laughs> I'll have to give it a try. I'll have to give that a try then. I haven't tried that. See, there you go. You're giving me some tips too now. I'm. It's funny. There's so many people who... Sorry, I'm just getting sidetracked. I got like a message on Facebook. There's a lot of people who, who chat with me on a regular basis or like share the show and stuff like this, like Beyond Synth, who I assume listen to the show. Mm-hmm. And then lately there's been... Like, I've gotten so many messages from people who are like... Oh yeah, man! I finally checked out the show. I'm like, what? Like you've been retweeting my show for like two years. Like you've never listened to one? Uh-huh. <laughs> fucking hilarious! Sorry, no, that's just what happened. Someone just sent me a message, just like <laughs> that's hilarious. I know. Hey, man, it's great. I haven't actually listened to the show before. I'm like, haven't we been like <laughs> friends on Facebook because of my show for like years? <laughs> anyway, yeah, and you're reposting and retweeting, and yeah. you haven't even listened. That's really weird, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> But I guess they'll never hear this, so it's fine. <laughs> yeah, well, now they're listening, though, aren't they? I don't know. Uh, who does? Um, hey, but speaking of listening, love, what do you got for me, man? You got a fucking track? <laughs> I love the way you transition into stuff like that. That's really good, Andy. Yeah, I'm real good at transitioning. I could learn from that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was going to play a new track from uh, 79. Uh, that's spelled 7DD9. He's got a new um, LP out, Alternative facts and uh, i really like the opening track called fantastic voyage all right well let's fucking listen to it this is 7 dd 9 with fantastic voyage
And that was Fantastic Voyage uh, by 7DD9. Uh, another pick from Marco on this wonderful Keeping It 80s with Marco Merrick. Episode 3. <laughs> now it's going to confuse things, right? Yeah, it is. <laughs> episode it is. 105 of Beyond Synth and Episode 3 of uh, Keeping It 80s. Well, I know this the segment's been all over the place, but I'm going to go back to cooking a little bit. You're telling me that you don't know much about cooking, but you know, you know what I want to know? I think a lot of, a lot of your uh, fans are probably wondering, when you made up that uh, bacon carbonara mm. that, um, that Vin- Vincenzo Salvia, you know, you followed his recipe, which was a hilarious video, by the way. I think we all enjoyed that one. But uh, <laughs> well, how did it turn out? Was it good? <laughs> it was, yeah, it was fine. It was fine. That doesn't sound that great. No, like it tasted good. Like it surprised me that... Okay, for people who don't know, so Vincenzo Salvi, Italian synthwave producer, he produced this terrible animation, which was like, I don't know, he, I don't know where he makes his animations, like if he makes them in Photoshop or something, but they're really bad. They look like Windows Paint, and it was, and it was a recipe for carbonara, and I thought it would be funny if I took his recipe and made a video of it, but I made my video all like synthwave, so the craziest part was just actually making the video, because every shot I changed the lighting setup, and so I was trying to cook at the same time, so it was, it was just me in the kitchen with my camera <laughs> and then every time I would turn the camera a little bit I'd like take the red light and put it over here and put a blue light from coming down from the ceiling and stuff maybe that's why you messed it up well then then <laughs> but then he had this part where it was like he wanted like four eggs but see I didn't know you could make like sort of a creamy sauce without cream like I always throw just cream in <laughs> to make cream sauce but like it, it was a creamy sauce just by having eggs and uh, parmesan cheese and uh, I couldn't do some of the stuff that he wanted because he was asking for all this like you know wacky Italian cheese that you probably just get you know like in Europe they've got more cheese <laughs> than they have here <laughs> I have to admit, I don't like the American cheese. I've noticed that it's very, it's a color. I don't like the color. And I don't know. You, you guys are right into that orange. I don't know if it's the same in Canada. Okay, so I'm not going to bunch you all in together. But so sorry <laughs> I, was about that. I was getting ready for, I'll let that slide again. But uh, thank you for the correction. <laughs> but uh, no, the cheese is very like orange. I don't know. We have like yellow cheese. Then they've got like all orange cheese. Well, yeah, I think there. they dye it. Like it's it's super phony. Like, so, what? I mean, we do get actual cheese, but then the, the big brands like Kraft and stuff that do like the processed cheese. So a lot of our cheese comes in these bricks of very, just it's like a very solid color so almost like a fluorescent orange. That's like the cheddar. Yeah. You know, and like craft dinner and stuff, it's like powdered chemical cheese <laughs> that people <laughs> like. But anyway, yeah, so he was asking for cheese that and I mean I, I could go to the deli and I got they had some options there, like more than the um, the grocery store would. <laughs> you know, the grocery store has pretty standard options when it comes to cheese. It's like cheddar, mozzarella, maybe some other ones, maybe like a baby bell or whatever. Like, it's all standard things, right? If you want those wacky ones, like, I need some fucking gurgler cheese or whatever, like, I'm just making up a word, uh, then you gotta go to, <laughs> you gotta go to the deli for that stuff. Like, the grocery store is probably not gonna handle Or the rich person grocery store. Yeah. You know, like the fancy one where, like, but everything there costs, like, $5 more just because you're in the rich person grocery store. So it's like, oh, bread here is $10. Like, why? Because we're a bunch of pieces of shit. I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I remember doing the video. You were funny because you kept going on about it. it's too much eggs. I think it's I think I'm, I think it's too many eggs. It seemed excessive to me. Like, that's so funny. Did you put in Did you put in the four eggs or not? I did. Yes, <laughs> I put in as much as I could based on his recipe. I, I wanted it to be as close as I could, but there was a lot of things I couldn't do. But it, it still tasted fine. Like it was fine. Mm. I mean, I, I'm going to do more of those. 
uh, at some point. But um, what I wanted to do, I actually wanted to make a cooking show at one point. And I have footage of me doing, like, I, I made this ridiculous video where it's like an eight minute long video of me making homemade uh, lemonade. Oh, jeez. And the joke being that that should be like a 30 second video and not like an eight minute one. <laughs> and like, I'm going through the whole process and talking stuff. And the only reason why I never posted it was because the shirt I was wearing, it was like a white shirt and I wasn't wearing like an undershirt. And because of like the lighting, and I think there's like a light coming from behind me or whatever, like you could like see my nipples like through the shirt. What's wrong with that? Can, ask, can you send me the video? I'll check it out. I, Come on, Andy, don't be shy, buddy. Come no, on, no, mate. it's really distract. It's really distracting because I was trying to do like a proper video, and it's just like you can kind of mm. see through the shirt a bit, and it looks wrong. Like it's just like a. Well, let me just judge it. And sometimes you need a second opinion. Yeah. Let me judge it in the knowledge. <laughs> Anyway, so that's why I never did it. I never put it out. And so I always wanted to do, but I want to, it has to be like a learning experience of some kind. So if I do it again, I want to tackle things I don't know how to make that I want to know how to make, like uh, cordon bleu chicken. Cordon bleu. Fucking, why'd I say it like that? Cordon bleu. 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 Cordon bleu. 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 Anyway, the the bottom line is this. I want to cut open a chicken and put fucking ham and cheese inside and then bread it and cook it. But I don't know how to do any of that. So I want to learn, but I want to learn on camera because then it's it's more fun if I actually like fuck it up during the process and then it makes a funnier video. Yeah, your, your videos are always a funny, Andy. I have to admit that's it's real comic relief when I, whenever I see your videos. <laughs> usually I don't. Go, usually I don't go out of my way to see people shit, but your ones your ones I do. Oh, thanks, you're man. It's funny. <laughs> <laughs> you're a good guy, Marco. <laughs> no, I'm just being honest. I'm not trying to blow smoke up your ass. Well, I'll tell you what I want though. Uh-oh. Uh, give me another <laughs> Give me another track, man. <laughs> Fucking, let's play some more music. You want another track? Yeah. Uh, all right. So we got uh, September 87, who's had a break for some time, is back. Um, I think he's got an album in the works, but he's got a new single out called Bad Dreams, A Baby, featuring some awesome vocals and the sax. I think everyone's going to love this one. Well, let's check it out. This is September 87. <laughs> <laughs>
And that was Bad Dreams Baby, right? That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah, you're correct, Andy, yes. (laughs) (laughs) By September 87. And that's a really fun track. And is that the one they have the video for? Yeah, it's got a great video. Sorry, I failed to mention that, Andy. That's a great video up on YouTube for it, too. Yeah, yeah, it is good. Looks like they're having a lot of fun. uh, uh, Yeah, I love seeing that, eh? When people do, like, the authentic videos, it really adds that whole, whole other element to the music. Yeah, man. Like, no, they did a really good job. That's uh, some people I got to end up talking to at some point because uh, it's good stuff. Yeah, yeah. He's got some. Uh, I interviewed him uh, ages ago, Andy, probably two years ago when his EP came out. And he's got a whole group of friends that are like actors and everything. And on his first uh, original EP, they, um, I don't know, he had a lot of voice acting going on. It was really well done, eh? So that probably, obviously, he's got friends that are in the um, entertainment industry. So he's definitely someone worth talking to. But the video itself, it's not just a montage of 80s footage or some shit shit like that you know which is which is good is it good <laughs> oh look I, I don't mind sometimes if you get the right footage it's perfect but uh, it's kind of i don't know it's kind of like neon grids and all that shit i guess you know it gets a little bit um yeah most people are producing in their fucking basement what do you expect uh, what do you expect you know <laughs> I mean, I have to unplug my fridge every time I want to record with the Andy, for Christ's sakes. <laughs> hey, do you live in a bungalow? Bungalow? No, I live in a donger. <laughs> What's a donger? <laughs> uh, it's, no, I don't actually. I live in a house. But a donger is, um, it's an Australian term for like a, almost like a trailer, kind of. I think you guys, I think they call them trailers over there. Uh, yeah, we have trailer parks. We, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Was that what you call the home? The, do you call them trailer trailer homes? Yeah, I like... Know uh, call, I know trailer parks, but... Uh, what, what do you, what's the fucking word? For, it's, it's just a... <laughs> it's a trailer home. Yeah, I think it's a trailer home, right? Or, or Jesus, Andy. Caravan? On, <laughs> right? But a caravan. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, fucking... I'll send you the link, buddy. Here we go. I'll send you the link so you can see it for yourself. I think they're called... I'll share it in the chat during RVs. the show, RVs. They're called fucking want? RVs. Oh, which, yeah, but they're vehicles, aren't they? They're recreational vehicles, right? Uh, Oh, car, yeah. Um. Yeah, yeah, that's like a, like a mobile home, but I'm talking about like the station. You can transport them, but they're fixed. People make a home out of it in a trailer park. It's like a trailer. It's called a trailer. Yeah, it's called a trailer. Because they have trailers on movie sets and shit. Yeah, that's right. They, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, there we go. Fuck, so, <laughs> we really got it together here, guys. Jesus Christ. <laughs> this is what people are so excited about. Just like, oh, I can't wait. Marco's part of your show now. I'm like, okay, well... <laughs> <laughs> you get what you get. Yeah, I'll send you the link, buddy. You get what you this get. Is what, that's a donga, all right? Donga. Oh, oh, shit. I thought you were saying that with your Australian accent. Donga. <laughs> yeah, see, I thought you were saying donga as in donger, but you're actually saying donga, like D-O-N-G-A. Yeah. Mm. But if you were to say D-O-N-G-E-R, it would still come out as donga, wouldn't it? Yeah, that's the Australian language. People say, yeah, it's kind of weird like that. Donga. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, before uh, before we go, because we got to wrap this up, mm-hmm. I'm doing a giveaway. Uh, Time Slaves Records has given me some download codes to give away for some of the artists on their label. And this week, I'm giving away uh, download codes for uh, the G Ooh. for his uh, his album Postcards from L.A. So I was thinking. I know I didn't warn you about this in advance, but... Uh, That's okay. Come up with a trivia question, and then I'm going to make people, if they want to win the... Co- I think I've got six 
I've got five or six codes to give away, and they'll have to answer your question. They'll have to send me a message and answer the question. All right. Well, I was going to say uh, this is it's an awesome EP from Gustav Brown. Anyway, uh, I really do like his music, the G. But I was just going to say uh, the question is we're talking about it before. What in the video that we were talking about before, where Andy did some cooking of pasta? What kind of pasta was it that he cooked? Ooh. All right, guys. So listen, if you want to uh, win a copy of the G's album postcard from LA. Postcards from LA is what it's called. Uh, send me a message. You can send me on Twitter, on the Facebook page, to my Facebook, Andy Synth. And I understand that this is giving an unfair advantage to the people who are listening on Thursday night, but too bad. That means you should be listening too. <laughs> Let me know what kind of pasta was I cooking in the video I made. And if you want to cheat, you can just go to YouTube. Give me another view there, man. And then I will send you a download code. So, Marco, do you want to end with a track? Uh, in that case, we will play another vocal track. I've got another one up my sleeve, Andy. This one's um, like the September 87 track. This one's got a cool video up on YouTube, and I'm talking about the song called uh, Drive Ride by Iverson. Very good stuff, Andy. Awesome. Drive Ride by Iverson. And uh, this has been Keeping It 80s with Marco Merrick. I hope you have a lovely week. Thanks, Andy. Thank you very much for having me on the show again. And uh, until next week, everybody, keep it real and keep it 80s.
And that was Iverson. And that's a cool track. Uh, I was uh, just talking to Marco Merrick, and that segment is over now. So let's go to the Patreon, and then uh, we'll go to uh, my conversation with Tangerine Dream. As you know, Beyond Synth has a Patreon. That's a way you can donate money to the show. And uh, Patreon, if you don't know what it is, it's like kind of Kickstarter, except it's a monthly donation thing. So you can donate as little as a dollar a month up to uh, the preferred donation of 5000 And I'm waiting for that day when someone donates $5,000 a month. I tell you, I can be bought, all right? <laughs> That's my new slogan. I can be bought. You can become the producer of Beyond Synth. If you want to give me five grand a month, I'll play whatever songs you want me to play. If you want me to start uh, promoting big oil companies, I'll do it. (laughs) Anyways, uh, let's thank my lovely donors. So we got a new donor this week, Travis Yakovich. Thanks, buddy. You're a cool guy. Travis Yakovich. Or do you say Yakovich? Travis Yakovich. Anyways, buddy, thanks a lot for donating to the show. It means a lot to me. And Martin Airborne is back as Airborne Martin, who is taking the place of Chris Schmokel with the donation of 420. 420, bro. That's right. That's what uh, stoners say when they get high. They say 420, and then they wait till 420 to smoke weed. I'm hip. Don't let the gray hair fool you, man. I know what the kids are doing these days. And, of course, my lovely $5 Pattersons. There's Joe and Lando, Roman, Devious Raven, Bobby B, John Eternal, Dougie Fresh, Lame Robot, Mono Memory, Florence Bullock, Matthew Lister, Simon Norberg, Valingo, New Gat Ninja, The Rosconian, Night Raptor, Stu. M. Ross Pentland, Dana Jean Phoenix, Tristan Waits, Rawl Pud, Aled, Grant Bouvier, Barons of Santa Carla, Seattle Synth, Ethan Hennings, and the donation of the Beast 666. It's Hellroy, Lucas Ceballos, Blake Peterson, and Carm. And of course, Max Hutchings with the donation of the Beast on the good side, 667, keeping those other heathens in check. And of course, my lovely $10 Pattersons. There's Jake Last, Trevor Resnick, Colin Bennett, Fraser David. Victor Garza, Ezra Van Dam, Winfield, Will Lowe, Nathaniel Rivera, Polly Digital, Angry Rambo Show, Joshua Everson, Slunks, Greg Smith, Ashley Keegan, Tim Walmsley, Tom Robinson, Mike Shima, and a new donor this week, Shabugan. Shabugan. Thank you, Shabugan. You're a cool guy. I asked him what that meant. He said it's a reference to uh, a foolish friend when they were younger, and uh, that was uh, one of their buddies saying Hadouken wrong from Street Fighter. So they thought it was Shabugan. <laughs> but don't they look like fools now? <laughs> 
I mean, it makes sense. When we were kids, before there was like the internet and nobody knew what the hell they were saying, everybody had a different interpretation of what Ryu was yelling and Ken, especially when they do their stupid spin kick move. Like that, 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 that. Like I still don't even know what they're saying. I think it's like dragon kick or something in Japanese, but whatever. Anyways, thank you, Shibugan, for your donation. It means a lot to me. And of course, you people should know that the $10 donors, uh, when they donate at that level for a few months, I make them special custom thank you videos that go on the Beyond Synth YouTube channel, which you can check out. And uh, they're always a lot of fun. And of course, Jacob Wick with his crazy donation of $22.88 and rounding out the, uh, the... Patreon this month is the king of the Pattersons, Chris Dance, with his donation of 25 bucks. What a cool guy. Anyways, that's the Patreon for this week, my friends. Thank you very much for donating to the show. It means a lot to me, and uh, the more people that donate, the cooler the show can be, man. That's the truth. And uh, yeah, so let's listen to another track. This is a neat one. This is by Until Ben with the track Astro Ball.
And that was Astro Ball by Until Ben from the Ending Rev album. I think he just released that like last week or something. Anyway, it's a cool one. Go check it out. And now, here is my conversation with Tangerine Dream. So first off, I just want to make sure that I say your names right, because <laughs> I don't want to be a dick and say it wrong. Good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> so th- is it Thorsten? Th- how do you say? It's okay. Thorsten, but Thorsten is fine. It works for me. So when you say your own name, though, you say Torsten, like like a T sound? Thorsten, yeah. Torsten. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I want to say your last name, uh, but it... <laughs> <laughs> yes? <laughs> I want to say questioning. Close, very close. It's questioning, but yeah, questioning like that. Yeah, perfect. perfect. Wow, yeah, that sounds so, really good. Torsten questioning. Yes, brilliant. All right, sweet. All right, that's one down. And uh, Ulrich, do you say Ulrich or Ulrich? Well, in German would be Ulrich. Wait, what? Ul- Ulrich. Ul- <laughs> 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 this is. But you know what? I'm- I've, I've been living in the UK for 11 years now, and I'm, I'm really used to all kinds of pronunciations, so that's totally fine. So you, they actually say the rish, like Ulrich, like that? Yeah, kind of. I mean, it's it's like a sound that I think is only uh, appearing in German language. It's like, at the end. It's kind of like that noise that geese make, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's a beautiful language. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's crazy. I never... I tried, uh, like, I never really picked it up, but my grandma spoke German, and my dad can speak it, but I can't um, mm. say a single thing, except, like, Scheiße. No, it's not Scheiße, even, is it? It's Scheiße? <laughs> yeah, the only thing is I always find it really cute that English-American people, they pronounce it really softly, so it doesn't really have the kind of harsh impact that it's supposed to have, so we would say Scheiße. Yeah. <laughs> 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 well, that's the thing. Whenever I have conversations with people in different languages, I'm always really curious about the swear words and be, because to me yeah. it's it's not satisfying unless it's got some like some punch to it some some bite you know yes i know germanic sounds they, they have that uh, i mean that's where our swear words come from they sound german to me the good ones anyways yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i don't know why i'm always so fixated on pronouncing people's names correctly uh, it's important to me. So Ulrich, like or Ulrich, yeah, Ulrich. yeah pretty close. <laughs> Which yeah, one? Yeah, yeah. Ulrich. Yeah. So that sound literally just doesn't even exist in English. Rich. No, it doesn't. Yeah, yeah. That's that's really the, the problem, and I, I, I totally don't blame you. Like I've, I've tried this with English people as well, and yeah, obviously, if you've never made that sound before, how would you sound <laughs> all of a sudden now? I mean, I might make that sound if someone like punches me in the stomach or something. Well, that's okay. Let's imagine that for a second. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I ever would. So, <laughs> so how are you guys uh, doing today? Tired, but good. Yep. Yeah, so we had two concerts yesterday, and on a very small boat, and um, so it's a, a kind of tired, but it was a fine day. So we visited um, a convention today, and yeah, it was fine. 
So that was uh, Super Booth. Yeah, I think it's a, one of the biggest synthesizer and conventions for electronic music and instruments, yeah, hardware and uh, software as well. They actually marketed it as the biggest synthesizer exhibition in the world, but I'm, I'm not entirely sure whether that's actually true. Maybe just like a typical thing of Germanic. Uh, yeah. Maybe the synthesizer part, uh, the room where the synthesizer are at the NEM is maybe bigger than the whole convention here. But it's, it's in um, music instruments in a global way, so yeah. maybe it could be the biggest only synthesizer yeah. convention. Yeah. Right. You guys just went over there for a few hours. Like, was that? Uh, yeah. Hmm, yeah. Did you? So did you miss out on some stuff? Did you get to see it all? I know all of it, but I, th I think we, we mainly went there just to meet some friends as yes. well and talk to them. Yeah, we did that, so that's all good. Cool. Well, let's. Um, we should probably sort of explain this whole thing. So you guys now, along with, is Hoshiko? Is that a yeah? Yeah. yeah. My my Japanese is pretty sketchy, so yeah. I don't know how to pronounce that. <laughs> well, it's even, <laughs> it's even better when we all try and figure it out with all these crazy accents, trying to get yeah. to the get to the bottom of stuff. But so you guys now are essentially you're like the face of tangerine dream as it is now yeah. we gotta sort of talk about that because it's really interesting because for me tangerine dream has always been one of the things that i've always loved growing up i'm about 35 lucky you yeah <laughs> i'm turning 40 this year well it's exciting i've got gray hair and kids so i mean i, I feel like <laughs> so an old man yeah. <laughs> so i grew up with it in the 80s and stuff like that but i was never too I'm not really like a celebrity focused guy. So when I would listen to music, I never really investigated the bands that much. I just sort of listened to the music and accepted it for what it was. So in the case of Tangerine Dream, I never knew just how complex the history of it was. You know, just like, you know, you go on Wikipedia and you can see that like, you know, there've been like 80 members of the band like over, yeah. <laughs> over all these sort of different years and people come in and people go out and so on and so forth. Maybe we'll talk a bit about like how how you guys, you know, first discovered Tangerine Dream individually, and then maybe how, you know, you, you met Edgar and how you got sort of involved with the project that way. But yeah, maybe just, uh, yeah, like Torsten, just say like, you know, what, uh, yeah. you know, when, when did you first hear it, you know? Mostly uh, um, I was recognizing Tangerine Dream um, because of Edgar's very edgy but good interviews. I was always reading all the magazines of for instruments and electronic music and there was so great and strange interviews all the time from Tangent Dream and uh, especially Edgar. Yeah, then I was uh, invited to uh, join them for two weeks for producing. At that time they were uh, doing some um, music with an orchestra for a project called uh, Tangent Dream Dante um, uh, Divina Commedia. The idea was only uh, let's try and see what happens uh, for 14 days and this year in maybe one month is 14 years now so right now you are the technically like the the oldest member sort of thing right yeah that's true yeah actually in in any sense of the word quite literally yeah, yeah. I, I'm the oldest. Yeah, I'm the oldest. I, 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 I love pointing this out. Thanks so much yeah. for giving me the opportunity. It's yeah. great. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm the old guy. <laughs> Yeah, I know. But, but, yeah. So, uh, is, is, uh, I think six months younger than me, but um, which is uh, a long, long time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
So what I was going to do is obviously like throughout this thing, I'm going to sort of play some of my favorite tracks. But of course, you know, a lot of my favorite Tangerine Dream things are, you know, from my childhood, from, you know, movie scores and things from the 80s and stuff. So we're going to like bounce all over the timeline here. Right. But uh, this was a track that I really dug. I mean, it's so it's so tricky. I mean, like there's like a million Tangerine Dream albums. Like they're actually a million. Yeah, more than 150 yeah. You collect all compilations. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it's just it's <laughs> anyway. So this was a this was a track I always really dug. This is Cloudburst Flight Perfect. off of uh, Force Majeure, and that's like 1979.
was Cloudburst Flight by Tangerine Dream. And I'm here with Tangerine Dream right now, Torsten and Ulrich. And I was wondering, when you guys perform, what is the material you guys are doing? Like, are you you making new stuff? Or are you doing sort of like oldies and sort of reimagining them? Like, what's the what's going on? There's probably a mix of all of them. So the good thing is we have never had big arguments about which things we're going to play and pieces of music we're going to play. So we mix up with the new stuff we composed together with Edgar and some of the very new stuff and mostly uh, things of the 70s and 80s. Right. I think it's a specific thing about this situation that obviously it's different to if we were be talking about one of our solo projects. Doing this is not just about fulfilling our own personal creative vision. Like We, we have a duty here as well, which is to try to continue and pay respect to uh, Edgar's legacy. I mean, that's the primary reason why we actually decided to continue what we started together, even though Edgar obviously sadly just disappeared so I think it's it's really important to pay tribute to that history also in the way by, by playing some of the actual classics and also from a very pragmatical point of view. I think the people who attend such gigs do simply ex- expect that as well. So how did you guys come to the decision then to carry it on, this idea of carrying on Edgar's legacy? I mean, was that, was that a difficult decision? I mean, was it something that he wanted you guys to do? Like, how did that... Come about yes. So it was at all not our decision yeah. uh, at that point. It was um, very much Edgar's decision because he was a mastermind and, and he, he was the one who said pick the, the members of Tendron Dream and said well, what's going to happen and um, sharing his views of, of the quantum years. Yeah, I mean he indeed he had that vision for the quantum years uh, already. Anyway, I mean obviously I would assume that he would have hoped uh, that he would actually be able to participate in fulfilling uh, this vision, but. What we do know is that he said that even if he wouldn't be allowed that opportunity, uh, he would want us to realize those ideas. What did that mean exactly? Because I, I mean, I, I read some interviews with him and I saw some some conversations where he was, uh, you know, getting into sort of quantum physics and stuff like that. Was that sort of the the underlying idea? I think. Uh, I mean, I'm not an expert at quantum physics. So I think <laughs> what I, what I can <laughs> who <outline> is <laughs> exactly? No, yeah, I think it's that, that probably is nobody on the planet right now anyway. But uh, I think my what, what, what I understood, though, from talking to Edgar is kind of like the sort of underlying concept that he was fascinated about or the concepts that he was generally fascinated about. That there's like a red line, which is that I think he always liked things which hint at possibilities or strategies to question our normal day-to-day perception of reality. And obviously, uh, I mean quantum physics and the stuff that is associated by it is probably one of the most radical uh, approaches to questioning our perception of reality uh, at least as traditional science is concerned. So how did that manifest itself musically? Edgar always had a really nice way of explaining this. I've quoted this a lot as well because I think it's just such a great way of saying it. He said that music obviously can't change the world and I think it it would be stupid as a musician to think that you can implement actual, straightforward, uh, really direct ideas in people's heads and maybe that's a good thing as well. I mean, music shouldn't be a tool for propaganda. But what music can do, it can create a space where you can make yourself aware that there's probably a, a couple more doors somewhere that would be worth opening and music can't open those doors for you but at least it can create like an environment and which you 
theoretically and hopefully could open those. And I really like that when Edgar said that because that's always how I feel felt about music as well. But I just couldn't put it in such eloquent words. You know, I always think like music creates somehow like a safety blanket, but not like in a way where you're then as a consequence avoiding re reality and just listening to some kind of lullaby that, that is dumbing you down. But it creates like a safe place in which you can confront things, even unpleasant things as well. That's why I think music can be a very helpful tool as well. If you go through a, grie a grieving process or something like that, it somehow it creates a, a safe space. Yeah, and that's a cool interpretation because, you know, over here in North America, there's this idea that, you know, like a safe space is a place to shield sensitive people from the world. But in this context, there's this idea that a safe space is a place not, not to hide, but to confront ideas, which is probably, you know, more useful. Mm -hmm. And it's neat that you had that connection with Edgar and what he was talking about, because, you know, when I messaged you to chat on the show, uh, Tangerine Dream, I had no idea that you, uh, Ulrich, were in Tangerine Dream now, because I've... I've known your music for years, and I always felt that it kind of had, you know, like a tangerine dream quality to it. Thank you. I, I take that as a compliment. Actually. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just cool. It, like, it, it was really interesting to me that you guys were sort of part of this thing, you know, together now. I thought it was really cool. What to you, what, what is like a, a favorite track of yours, a tangerine dream track? My all-time favorite without any question, because it's my favorite record generally uh, as well my favorite record of all time as an album force majeure and uh, as a particular piece from that the the final eight minutes of, of the title track i think that's yeah that's the most beautiful piece of music i think i have ever heard and probably ever will hear <laughs> well that's awesome so i mean this was something that you would you've been listening to a lot like when you were younger and stuff like just... oh yeah yeah i mean that completely blew me away you know i was actually almost like in a state of shock i would say i remember that moment and i would also say i mean tender and dream is maybe not the reason why i decided to become a, a musician but it's certainly the mu the reason why i decided to do electronic music specifically because in my head beforehand as a child i had a music uh, as well that I, i was hoping to be able to make one day but through listening to tender and dream i realized that maybe choosing that path electronic instrumentation may be the way how to come the closest to that yeah 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 for sure well let's uh let's listen to that song man this is force majeure by tangerine dream team.
And that was Force Majeure by Tangerine Dream, or more specifically, the last eight minutes of Force Majeure, because it's actually a really long track. And I'm here with Tangerine Dream right now. And I was looking at this picture, and I'm trying to figure it out. I think it was like sort of like one of the last pictures where it's, where it's, it's the four of you. It's like the one that's on like the Tangerine Dream site. Mm-hmm. And uh, Torsten, are you like a giant? You look like a giant compared to everybody else in the photo. Can I answer that for Torsten? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no false modesty here please <laughs> well that was the first thing that struck me like the second i see that picture like everybody else is sort of relatively the same height and then there's just this giant dude smiling next to them and i'm like whoa <laughs> yeah <laughs> always surrounded by tiny people no 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 <laughs> 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 no, the truth is, I, I, I was uh, maybe uh, twenty meters uh, nearer to the f- uh, photographer. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> just a physical representation of his talent. Yeah, there you go. It's all it's yeah. all quantum physics. <laughs> yeah. So, talk to me a bit about. I mean, because you guys have been making music. You know, I mean, obviously, like the Tangerine Dream is a big chunk, and then obviously your own sorts of music. So. How in your in your lives has the technology influenced you know the, uh, the music? Because obviously, you know when we go back and see what Edgar was doing at the very start, and it's really sort of revolutionary and crazy stuff, and sort of using the tools that were available and making these neat sounds. And we've seen the analog go to like the sampling, and then digital, and then the computer, and like these different sort of evolutions of the technology. So how has that affected the way that you make music? I think that um, inventions, uh, computer-wise, makes things faster. You could uh, came to the final result in shorter time span, but, but doesn't for me affect the composing of music so much. So yes, um, yeah, it's faster and it's easier to re- record it on the next day. Yeah, I, I would agree with that actually, and I think, but, but obviously, I think what we have to concede is that we probably wouldn't have given that answer in the early 80s because then we probably would have been totally blown away by the DX7 or sampling or something (laughs) and we would have uh, praised how much that influences uh, our choices of sound design or whatever but but I think the big difference is that in the last 20 years there has been a lot of innovation and technology as well but not so much in terms of creative innovation it's more like in terms of speed and convenience so a certain result that you wanted to achieve in 1975 probably took 20 20 minutes uh, to get there, including turning on the instrument, waiting until it's warm, then tuning the oscillators or whatever. And now you have a lot of totally sufficient sounding stuff with a couple of mouse clicks. Uh, So I think that's also like the double-sided nature of technology today. It's a bit dangerous as well because it's really easy just to dial up uh, great sounding results with a finger snap while like 40 years ago or something, you'd have to work really hard to get interesting results. And obviously that then encourages creativity as well. And obviously we, we both try to retain that element as well. So as much as we appreciate the convenience, we still try to challenge ourselves uh, as well, rather than just downloading like a gigabyte of yeah. sample packs here and there <laughs> and compiling stuff together. When you came to be part of Tangerine Dream, what sort of things did you learn from sort of Edgar's process or anything like that? So I um, wasn't so much deep in the electronic music as, as a joint engine dream and 
Um, it was a great opportunity, opportunity because Edgar, if he wanted, was a very good teacher about synthesizer, making sounds, uh, programming bass lines using step sequences, and playing which note on <laughs> in which time and, and, and on which place on the song, and even uh, creating um, curves of dynamics. I learned all the stuff from um, from Edgar because of came from classical music and more pro- pro- progressive rock stuff. So maybe ninety eight percent of everything I know about, about electronic music um, I learned from Edgar. Because I'd read in some places in regards to Edgar that he was the kind of guy who like knew what he wanted and knew what he wanted from the people that he selected and you know worked with or whatever to to be in the group. So as far as teaching was concerned, as far as him sort of showing you things i mean was he was he patient or did he kind of know what he wanted and you know expected you to sort of catch up i mean how how did that dynamic work um so he definitely knows what he wanted from other people and from his own music um i, I wouldn't describe him as the most patient i've met um what was kind of the prototype of, of the boss. Right. Um, he was always the the master, the guy, the the, uh, the boss in, in every room. That doesn't matter if uh, some other musicians, uh, even very big, so we, we played with several people, like like even Brian May. Um, the, the funny thing about it, uh, after the first rehearsal, after 10 minutes, Brian May called him boss. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, because he, he was. Yeah, I would say that as well. I think yeah. Edgar was one of those people, that one of the first few things you would imagine would probably be natural authority. And a lot of people describe him as a father-like figure mm-hmm. uh, as well, which I think is probably also to, to outline this sort of, he wasn't a dictatorial boss. He, he knew how to keep a balance but between making use of that authority as well, but like just in a way where it doesn't, borderline like destructive areas i mean i, I remember one really funny episode uh, I, I remember is when we um, did the first track together he didn't say much mm. and when I, when we did the second track together and i sent him my suggestion for an arrangement he said like he didn't want to say much too much after the first song because he thought it, it may be like a lucky coincidence right <laughs> <laughs> but now after the second song he can see that it's it's really good and it works so and i think that shows you he was encouraging and nice and warm but at the same time also he made sure you know that he doesn't wrap people in a, in a comfort blanket and that that they still they deliver basically i think that was really important for him but maybe that's even a, a word he uh, could have imagined that he would have chosen himself that he wants people to deliver well let's um we're gonna listen to another track here this is a favorite of mine from the album exit uh, from 1981. This was a track, I don't even know how to say this word right, Koranzan. I think that's how it's said. Koranzan? Yeah. Koranzan. Yeah. Koranzan. Anyway, I love this track. <laughs>
And that was Karanzan by Tangerine Dream off the album Exit. And I'm here with Torsten and Ulrich uh, from Tangerine Dream. Now, I want to talk about the electronic film scores because, you know, Tangerine Dream have made some of my favorite scores. So now... Do you think people are more sort of accepting of, like, synth score music now? Because I feel like there was a point where, I don't know, it was almost like, I don't know how to word this, because I always loved synth scores, <laughs> like, you know, for me personally. But, but then I got the impression sometimes that people weren't, like, as into them as I thought they should have been. And now I'm seeing this resurgence. There's definitely an interest in synth stuff and uh, synth scores and stuff like that. I mean, have you have you seen a, a change? I think uh, that in, in, in the very early days, before Tangerine Dream did the electronic scores, most of the electronic-made scores was, from nowadays' perspective, a little bit like, like a gimmick to do all the science fiction sounds and do the theremin and, and, and make a spooky atmosphere. But may, maybe this was very dated uh, work for, for maybe half a year. And... Um, Maybe Tender Dream changed things to th that it was very musical in a way to use electronic instruments as constructed music in, in films. Now people are used to the Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross soundtracks like Gone Girl, Girls with Dragon Tattoo and then... Those yes, yeah, 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 yeah. So it's much more than a gimmick and much more than we want to have an electronic score or an, an orchestral score. So it must uh, fit into the film. So it's now rules about um, we just make electronic and there's no no chance to get a violin or a shadow on, on, on the score. So there, there should be no rules for scores. So in the later years, like I'm, I'm curious of the process of how Tangerine Dream produced music. So for example, there's the... There was a Tangerine Dream score on Grand Theft Auto 5, right? Hmm? So... 35 hours. So yeah, so I mean, I didn't see it too widely uh, discussed that it was Tangerine Dream, but when I was playing the game, because I played the shit out of that game, <laughs> that any time the score music came in, I was like, oh, this fucking music is awesome. Like, I loved it, and I didn't even know. There wasn't like a big press release that said, like, score by Tangerine Dream, because if it did, that would have been sort of like an additional selling point, but I, I love the Grand Theft Auto games anyway, so I would have bought it regardless, but when the music was playing, I loved it, and it took like a friend of mine to be like, you know that's Tangerine Dream, right? I'm like, what? So... Anyway, that's <laughs> that's my story. Yes, so, yes, but the, the name Tangerine Dream appears twice in the whole game, and even if it plays for for one hundred hours or well, one hour or years, so it appears on the first scene where he's sitting on a bank on the beach, mm -hmm. and then maybe you see the uh, the, the second appearance uh, when you're done with the game. <laughs> right, <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. As a, with the ending credits and then, uh, okay, so it's not exactly the end because it's an open, uh, open world scenario, but there is an ending credit maybe done the last mission. And uh, there is uh, Tendron Dream and then the first scene, but this could be a problem. So uh, what was the process of making, like how involved were you guys in that thing? Uh, I, I was involved. So no, nobody can compose sorry five hours on its own <laughs> in one and a half year so yeah. the um, the deal was we had to deliver five days a week and five minutes 30 seconds eight stems of music because eight stems because there are no definite mix 
um, of the music because the, the game mixes the music by itself because if you go one to from one era to another the stems uh, maybe one stem could be a percussion line one other st uh, stem could be um, a sub mix of the pads we used as a, then the arpeggiators and, um, and it's mixed um, by the position of the player inside the game world yes yeah yeah so um, we have had to deliver eight stems the difference between game music and score music as a film music for movies is um, that you can for movies you can do the big melody stuff like Gone with the Wind <laughs> and E.T. and Star Wars because the theme part the, the one person has an own theme in the movie but um, you can't know how long the player in the game would hear the music so maybe there's some un very unlucky players which n need three hours or three weeks to uh, stole a car in, in the game and go to, to the <laughs> next area and like the old um, uh, Game Boy Tetris or uh, Bubble Bubble uh, games from, from, from the 80s um, mm -hmm. Sepa True are all, uh, know all the melodies <laughs> because you listen to it for months only one melody like Tetris well, Bubble yeah. Bobble and Tetris and Bubble Bobble, those ones specifically are amazing. Like those songs are awesome, and they are still like they're yeah, still stuck in my head. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And but uh, <laughs> now things have changed. You can't do the twenty-note theme for one week. <laughs> um, so it was more about um, creating atmospheres and not, not the big melodies, not not the real structured songs. And so we did three uh, thirty-five uh, hours of music and. In the time for GTA 5. Yeah, no, that well, it's uh, it was some wicked stuff. I want to actually keep talking about that a bit because I do find it interesting. I do want to listen to another one of my favorite tracks. Uh, this was from the movie Legend, uh, one of my favorite film scores. It's the unicorn theme from Legend.
And that was the unicorn theme from Legend by Tangerine Dream. There's a f- funny uh, thing about Legend because in Germany, um, it's no Tangerine Dream soundtrack. Well, okay, see, that's the thing that pisses me off. Yeah. <laughs> it's Jerry Goldsmith in Germany. In the director's cut, they use this original score, this the, the Jerry Goldsmith one. And, like, no offense to that guy. Like, he's a talented scoring guy. But the, the whole reason why Legend is so special is because of that music. Like, I mean, that unicorn theme. Like, it, because, you know, when, when you do The Expected, uh, you have a fantasy movie. There's just a certain sound that people go for. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it was, like, this electronic score... Um, that's what really captured me as a kid, and it bugged me when they released the director's cut because I wish they, I wish they made a director's cut, but still used the Tangerine Dream music because I loved, I just loved that that melody so much. When I saw the with the Goldsmith music, I just found it kind of dull. Like you probably can't comment on that, but I mean that's how I feel. Okay. <laughs> That's my thing, but because uh, the Tangerine Dream score of that thing is awesome. I'm curious, though, going back to Grand Theft Auto quickly, because that process, you're talking about that, and I've talked to other people who have scored video games about how different the process is from scoring movies and stuff. Like you said, video games are dynamic. You have to account for changes in things and stuff like that. Did Edgar, like, fully understand that concept? Because Tangerine Dream wasn't normally scoring games and things like that. Edgar wasn't so much of me playing video games. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, once I brought my, my uh, PlayStation with me and show him um, the uh, Red Dead Redemption 2. Mm-hmm. It was a brilliant score. And he, he, he was used to it um, and, and was very interested. So he, <laughs> he, <Yeah>. bought, <laughs> he bought an Xbox after it. So I, I, I'm not sure if he played once, but he bought mm. after an Xbox after it. <laughs> Well, Red Dead Redemption was also an awesome game, too. That was, uh, yeah, um, uh, Woody Jackson was uh, doing the score. Mm-hmm. Uh, he contributed um, even some music for the uh, GTA V. When you're talking before about, you know, sending things, you know, over to Edgar and, like, he would comment and stuff like this, what was the actual process like making the music? Were you guys in studio? Did you guys, you know, go to your own studios and sort of, like, contribute things via email? Did you did you meet up? I mean, how was how did that work? We spent a lot of time together, so I, I was living in his house in Austria for maybe seven of 12 months a year. And um, there was two studios, and um, so we prepare the, the first uh, basic sketches um, first and then met somewhere in the evening or night um, discussing things, hearing the stuff from, from the other. When you said before about the Grand Theft Auto one doing all those hours of music, did you guys basically tackle individual sections yourselves or did like Edgar go and like take five minutes and then you took a different five minutes or did you all really collaborate on every minute of stuff on this particular work um so he did five minutes i was doing another five minutes right okay yeah so there was was some main themes maybe 10 hours of them what was doing by by us together but the other music was edgar composed some stuff and that now that you guys are you know when you're doing performances you know as tangerine dream and you said you're sort of working on uh new stuff how is that different now I, I mean obviously Edgar's not around but I mean like what do you are you trying to maintain the the same working style to sort of capture that energy or are you just doing it like a whole new way no it's, it's I don't think it's it's a whole new uh, way I think 
the basic procedure is probably always the same for but it depends a little bit on which project we're talking about so in in with regards to the quantum gate album that we started uh, with edgar we had edgar's sketches and instructions and we took those as uh, guidelines to finish those pieces as close as possible to the um, results that he uh, wanted to have and obviously we're, we're hoping that we did come at least reasonably close in the end but uh, obviously in the, the remaining time now we've done stuff also that is uh, just written by uh, Torsten and myself as well and as far as that is concerned it can go either way sometimes we're both in the same room together jamming and we use something that comes out out of that as a as a blueprint or as a starting point for a piece of music sometimes it's also that I'm preparing something at home and send it over or Torsten's preparing something in Berlin and sending it over to London and when you said that sort of Edgar had these notes that you guys were referring to for Quantum Gate, what is what do you mean? Like, I mean, are we talking sheet music here? Are we talking like, I mean, what what, what exactly were these notes? No, I'm t talking about two things: actual sketches, as in unfinished, uh, in Edgar's case, Cubase uh, arrangements. Okay, right. And and secondly, I'm I'm talking about uh, like the discussions that we uh, had, of, of which there were quite a few, actually quite a few controversial ones uh, as well, about the general sort of aesthetic di direction of the project. And I think both Torsten and I, we know, uh, I, I used the word deliver earlier on, we both know which elements of our work of our handwriting Edgar appreciated and which ones he probably didn't uh, so much and we're keeping this in mind basically working on the stuff. Like I said Tangent Dream for me is a very different project than my solo work where it's all about just, just my vision in this case here with Chandra and Dream, I'm very happy to sacrifice a lot of my personal opinions uh, as, well, as well if I do uh, realize that uh, it would be against the general vision that Edgar had outlined. So then how tricky is it to keep yourself in line? That's, that's the funny thing. I find that very liberating, but I do realize as well that I find it liberating because it's a contradiction to my normal routine. Because, I mean, if I didn't have this solo project where I could have things 100% my way, I think I would probably be really angry and I think I would have had e even more arguments with Edgar. But, but the thing is, since I do have that free space where I can do 100% what I want, I actually find it a very liberating and inspiring challenge to do something different uh, in this Tendering Dream context. And I would say that goes for any collaborative work uh, that I'm doing uh, anyway. I think that's that's the great thing about it because only that way you learn new new tricks or new things and because you are indeed forced to break out of your routine. And routine is obviously always the de death of creativity. So it's, it's very healthy to be forced to, to break out of that every now and then. So what specifically then about your style... Are you changing or, I mean, is it as simple as, you know, you have a certain way you make music or a certain way you like your beats or whatever. And in conversation with Edgar, he'd be like, I don't like that or I don't like that type of sound. I mean, like, wh what are the things that you that you notice about yourself that you do differently? No, it's it's not so mundane as make the hi-hat 3 dBs quieter than you do usually. Yeah. Or something like that. It's more, more like a... 
much more like about it the, the philosophy be, behind it and what i what i know from conversations with edgar there's one thing for instance where he thought that he can't achieve that on his own but he want to have this incorporated in the tangent dream sound and he he thought that I, I was quite good at that he always said to me that his my music sounds like uh, as if i'm always at least uh, a meter above the ground you know because it's, it's quite mm. i guess people would say it's quite fluffy or, or, or whatever and he wanted that element and another thing that he's said is that he likes that there is quite a bit of a dynamic uh, range ups and downs and in, in my music and then sometimes they they, they climax really heavily and, uh, and they completely break down again and collapse so those are positive things that, that, that I kept in mind when working on the music on the negative side and probably something that Edgar and I would always disagree on although I And I'm saying I know it's unfair to say this because he can't he can't speak against it, but I'm still <laughs> going to say it. I, Edgar was quite against uh, drum and bass and dance music uh, in general. I mean, in my opinion, I think he was only saying that because he simply didn't know any of the good contemporary dance music that exists as well. But anyway, that's sure, a yeah, yeah, debate. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, obviously, keeping that in, my, in mind, one thing I would never do uh, on a Tangerine Dream track is too brutally and too directly include uh, elements that are hinting like in a contemporary dance direction modestly you know like subtly as a bit of an additional spice uh, i think that's that's fine but don't take it too far because um, i know that that's something that edgar probably wouldn't have appreciated so there there won't be any like dubstep tangerine dream song <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> 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 well, well, let's listen to some more Tangerine Dream now. So this is uh, Central Park from the 1985 album Le Park.
That was Tangerine Dream with the song Central Park from the 1985 album Le Park. And I'm here with Tangerine Dream right now, Torsten and Ulrich. And uh, you know now there's this renewed interest that I found in sort of retro-sounding electronic music. I mean, that's what this show is all based on. It's a lot of people that are... I'm going to say, you know, like children of the 80s. I mean, you know, I'm born in the early 80s. So a lot of those things, the music of that time, the electronic music of that time, I've always found very, it's just... hits me in that way and there's a lot of people now sort of similar age to me but uh, you know in around that zone that are making this stuff i call it synth wave but there's lots of different you know ways retro wave or whatever people want to call it like have you listened to any of this stuff are you aware of any of the contemporary sort of music that has this sort of retro feel yeah, I mean, I definitely try to catch up uh, with what's happening in electronic music generally. Anyway, I think that's, that's part of my job to a degree uh, as well. I don't, uh, nobody's an island, uh, you know. And I think it's it's always useful to have a bit of a look around to see what other people are doing. Even like sometimes also because you want to react uh, against it, you know. Like I think one mm-hmm. way or the other, it's it's important. And um, I found this whole uh, retro wave quite interesting as well because it made me listen to uh, again to a lot of the music that it's based on that or that it's referencing and uh, made me realize I think for a very long time I, I sort of listened to like the first row big acts of electronic music Tangerine Dream Jar uh, uh, Yellow Magic Orchestra uh, but because of this retro wave now obviously a lot of the old stuff is much more easily available online as, as well and so the last couple of years I've been whenever I have a bit of free time I'm sort of uh, taking like a little discovery journey through the internet and see what kind of old American New Age tapes uh, from 1982 people have ripped and put up on on, on blogs and I've also (laughs) discovered musicians whose work I find absolutely uh, amazing but uh, due to a limit of public exposure at the actual time I wasn't aware of uh, so I don't know I will mention people like uh, Bernard Zolotte from from France who then lived in America in America or Yazos a Greek musician who also lives uh, in in America there's plenty plenty of great stuff to discover really still from that era What's uh what sort of music are you guys like kind of following now? Like what are you, what are some of your favorite things right now? As far as contemporary stuff is concerned, or yeah, it's always like the, the classic blackout question, uh, isn't it? Um, what's the best new thing? <laughs> new and contemporary is different things for me. So I'm I'm, I'm listening very much to now. There's nothing new on it. So there's a post rock thing like God speak of like Empire, uh, explosions in the sky, Sigaros, Johan and Johansson, uh, Olaf Arnold, many of the Icelandic guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I think the reason reason why I can't answer this question is really because for me it's always like the classic blackout question once uh, it's, it's being heard I, I, I have too much stuff in my head uh, I, will, I will do a bit of shameless self-promotion here instead I do a monthly radio show with a friend where we play all our, our current favorite music it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's called Sonic Realities and you can find it on Mixcloud we do an episode uh, at the end of every month so if you're interested in what kind of uh, new music I'm listening to uh, and enjoying then tune into that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, that's cool. I, I mean, it's tricky for me. I mean, when I, I ask that, it's sort of like a silly question, but it's just because for me, I've just been so in this this scene, this synthwave scene for a few years now. And, uh, and it's an interesting place because obviously there's a lot of people who wear their influences on their sleeve. Like, so there's a lot of artists who are very clearly inspired by, I mean, some people are, you know, inspired by Tangerine Dream, for example. So there's artists that are doing albums that have that sort of vibe to them, like classic Tangerine Dream. There's, then there's artists that just take, you know, little flavors or certain samples that, you know, you recognize from a long time ago, but put a new sort of spin on it. So in fact, I'm completely out of touch with contemporary music. And I know that feeling of the difference between new and contemporary because I'm doing the same thing where, you know, someone sends me a link to some weird like space disco thing from the 70s. And it's new to me, <laughs> so it's like as far as I'm concerned, it's new because it's the first time I've heard it. Yeah. I mean, is is electronic music the thing that you guys gravitate towards, or do you do you like to listen to like a wide range of things? And I think we, we both listen to actually uh, a super wide range yeah. of stuff, mm-hmm. and I think that's really necessary as well because I think otherwise, as as a musician, uh, you if you only listen to one thing and then on top of that also something that's close to your own work then you get into this really incestuous yeah. situation where, where, where it's like a feedback loop uh, you know I, I personally I, I do like a lot of electronic music that I listen to for my personal enjoyment but I don't I wouldn't say I, w- I get any inspiration from it I think stuff these days that's really inspiring me is, is uh, uh, jazz for instance because obviously like in terms of chordal progressions and mem- melodies it's much more uh, profound and complicated than, any, than anything that I could come with, up with my, myself but precisely because of that reason it, it triggers ideas uh, in my head that I wouldn't have come up with myself so whenever I, I have a writer's talk or something I put on like a Pat Metheny record or something and then I, I start to get ideas for melodies and things but I don't think that would happen to me if I would listen to the latest ambient electronica or whatever release. well let's uh, listen to another track here this was um, this was one that I dug from the album White Eagle and uh, I like this one because I'm I was always a fan of the score to Terminator, Brad Feidel's score to the first Terminator film. And this was a track where I almost feel like he must have taken some inspiration from. It's called Midnight in Tula, and uh, it's a cool song.
that was Midnight in Tula by Tangerine Dream. And I'm chatting with Torsten and Ulrich from Tangerine Dream right now. And of course, there's another member uh, who's not here today, Hoshiko. And uh, I just have a question of Hoshiko's involvement. Is she also coming in with laying down her own ideas and doing that stuff? Or are you guys saying, like, you, you lay the foundation, especially with, like, new tracks? Do you, like, sort of lay the foundation of stuff and say, like, here, add some violin to this and stuff? I mean, how does how does her involvement work? The two sides of, of the coin. So she has very free free space in, um, in concerts, very much on, on, on recordings and albums. So we um, started to, to make... Um, session in every end of the concert from 20 to <laughs> yesterday two hours <laughs> um that's uh Hoshiko and at this point could do anything she she likes so sometimes um on uh, some of the sonic poem cds there was one solo complete uh, composed by her but some of the stuff about oh, sheet music and written music for her and she came and play our our scores and then notes. Wait, so you saying like when you guys do like live performance, like she can like freestyle up there? Yeah, because we all we all freestyle. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So how the how then you work that out in advance? Like when you go up to play, I mean, you must have certain sets and songs you have in mind. Yeah, I think that's that's a misunderstanding. Okay, so, sorry. So, so, yeah, yeah. We play normally one one hour, one and a half hour. A classical or new album material. Yeah, but we we end every show since maybe one year with a um, freestyle jam session, like like something between improvisation or real time composing. But it's real time, right? It's based on, on on the way how how uh, on on the concepts of improvised music how. CD uh, ex- executed that in the 70s uh, as well, basically. And obviously, since we don't agree on anything as far as the upcoming music is concerned, beyond saying, well, it's going to be in the key of E and at 84 BPM, for instance, yeah. uh, obviously, <laughs> uh, everyone has to come up with their own ideas on what, what they want to do. And that includes Hashiko as well, of course. This is a maybe a weird question, but who who owns the rights to Tangerine Dream stuff? Um, Edgar's wife, uh, Bianca. Okay, okay, okay. I was always mm-hmm. curious about how that how that works. Mm-hmm. So that's all fine. Like, there's no weirdness or anything. Like, it's all cool. Like, you guys are just no, quite the opposite. Continuing. I mean, Bianca uh, uh, obviously encouraged as as well. I mean, yeah, simply because, yeah. Like, like I said, I mean, Edgar Edgar told her make sure that my idea for this last period, which again he called the quantum years, uh, make sure that that's gonna be executed the way I wanted it to be and she so she actually encouraged uh, as I mean to be honest with you I actually had doubts for, for quite a while but Bianca was always like uh, very persistent uh, that this should be done according to Edgar's wishes and uh, yeah uh, on the contrary as there's no disagreement well that's great I was oh yeah because it's very interesting to me like it's such a interesting sort of past did you ever like talk to, to Edgar about like the old days did he ever talk about it, or was it just always sort of moving forward? Or we all also talk, talked about the old days because so I've spent maybe in the last fourteen years I spent maybe in, in whole eight years with him on, on studios on tours. So there's a lot. Of, you talk about everything, past, present, and, and future. I mean, what sort of dude was he? Like I see him in these interviews, and. Uh, and he seemed very interesting, <laughs> you know, d- like the way he spoke and stuff like that. But like w- when you knew him, I mean, like what kind of guy was he? Like, did he did he like to have fun? I mean, was he 
serious? I mean, what sort of vibe was it like uh, working with him? It was most of the time serious, but 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 in a, in a good way. It was not not the loud joking guy on on, on the table who had the loudest voice and uh, screaming all the time. The the funny thing about that. Uh, in the most never the, the man kind of thing, like uh, speaking about soccer of cars. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because no one of us has a driver's license. Edgar, Ulrich, and me. <laughs> never me. It's true. <laughs> well, I don't either, man. I found that's... <laughs> my my wife does all the driving. I just, uh, I, I get a driver's license to, uh, just for ID, because then, then you can buy beer. But like, the... <laughs> But I, I have that same, I've always, like, that's been an issue I've always had in my life. I mean, I, I love talking to people and meeting new people, but small talk has been something that I've never been comfortable with or good at. You know, like when, when you know certain people who the entire thing they, they talk about is, you know, sports scores and uh, the weather and stuff like that, you know? And I always want to skip past that as quickly as I can. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I always find these people are interesting and they always have like an interesting story, but I don't, sometimes I get myself into trouble because I'll move too quickly. <laughs> you know, when I first meet a person and I go, I instantly go like, no, no, let's, yeah. let's get deeper here. Like, I don't want to talk about this fucking nonsense, you know? So I, I, I understand that, uh, that need, I guess, to just, life is more interesting than these simple things. I'm, I totally suck at small talk as well. And the good thing with Edgar was that it was never necessary as well. I really appreciate that. I mean, before I joined, I, I didn't see Edgar more often than uh, once a year when they were playing uh, in, in London, basically. But like every year, I knew if we would meet after the gig and, and have a coffee t t t together, uh, it would be uh, a very worthwhile conversation and a very thought-provoking uh, one and quite often a very inspiring one that had a very direct impact on impact on the music that I was working on afterwards uh, as well and it's always like he, he, he asked you questions uh, as well well you like really have to think for a moment to settle on a position like and and and, and really totally unscared of, of hitting on subjects that other people would probably consider to be inappropriate as well. I remember like I think maybe like 2009 or 2007 we sat down after a gig and completely out of the blue he asked me what's the role of, of the eros uh, in, in, in your music or maybe <laughs> basically say what's the role of sexuality in your music. The, the reason why he asked that and that then occurred in the, in the conversation uh, afterwards uh, is uh, the, that he obviously noticed that my music has this sort of like fluffy, probably very un unmale uh, element as well. And indeed, I, I responded that uh, obviously sexuality has a time and place uh, in life. I wouldn't deny that, but I think music actually has the uh, ability to elevate uh, uh, our consciousness beyond such mundane and, and profane things. And that's precisely what, what Edgar wanted to discuss uh, as well. For instance, with regards to rhythm, that's what thing, one thing that he was saying, that rhythm, if it's used in, in the wrong way, can sort of limit this sort of like consciousness uh, expanding potential of music so yeah and uh, we, we had a, a discussion uh, about that and the, the good thing was also you could disagree with that guy as well and he would probably he would maybe be angry uh, at, at you then uh, as well but at the same time I think he was one of those people if, if he had the feeling that he's confronted with an 
uh, diverging opinion that's reflected uh, and intelligent, then he would still respect that uh, as well. And that's something I, I really like. You know, I, I really like people who are aware of the authority that they probably have as well, but when it's also okay to question that authority and when they can even, even if they, they are aware that they are a person with that kind of authority, that they can, for instance, even admit mistakes uh, as well, which also happened in discussions that I had with Edgar. Did he ever like land on a, uh, on a consensus? It's an interesting idea, this whole, this whole thing about rhythm and, and, and that sort of thing. Like, was the idea that if you keep your like if the rhythm is too consistent like was it about changing it up to give the brain more to like think about and work with and not be like sort of stagnant i mean yeah. was there was there an idea that he had yeah i mean uh, i mean one point that i made then uh, obviously is that I, I don't think it's necessarily just the thing that i would associate with sexuality but probably even worse with like a totalitarian element as well you know like marching music right. does sound the way it sounds for for a reason you know because it fulfills a certain purpose because it triggers certain emotions in the brain because that's the way how we are socially conditioned uh, obviously and it's worth reflecting on that because if you have elements uh, in your music that reference that kind of rep repetition there's nothing wrong with repetition per se but this particular kind of demanding domineering re requesting uh, obedience repetition then that will have a certain impact uh, on the listener as well and it's the question whether that's a desirable thing to achieve in my opinion it's certainly not and that's obviously definitely something we totally agreed on so you, so you guys didn't like modo then did you ever hear modo eins zwei polizei oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> well was, if you lived in europe at that time it was hard to avoid that <laughs> i wish i wish i would i would have uh, uh, there's like modo had like four songs and they were all this I don't. I mean, I'm English, right? So I never knew what he was saying until I realized it's it's like one, two, three, police or something. Like, is that what it is? Yeah, yeah. Huh? Fucking... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just love the idea of bringing up Moto to Tangerine Dream. Let's uh, <laughs> let's listen to another for, track. For retriggering all trauma. <laughs> <laughs> and this is Moto with one, two, police. <laughs> All right, this is um this is a, a very nice song obviously. This was from the Risky Business uh soundtrack. This is Love on a Real Train.
That was Love on a Real Train from Risky Business by Tangerine Dream. And I'm here with Tangerine Dream right now. And and that song is awesome. That that whole fucking score is great. So, I mean, I, I love this idea because I... I, I really love music and, and you know, the, the way that it makes me feel, and it's very important to me, but I never really intellectualize it at all. So it's funny when I hear, you know, people talking about having these discussions about music that are so deep, and literally the only thing I can ever say is, that song was cool, or I liked that. I mean, like, that's that's like my, my whole music vocabulary. I just, I know it makes me feel great and I love it, but I never uh, really sit there and, like, intellectualize it. But, 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 but I mean, so, sorry, but I, w- I would disagree with that because intellectualizing always sounds like you're forcefully making yourself think in a certain direction. No, I, d- I don't. You know, like that's that's mm-hmm. a that's a natural basic need for me to reflect uh, on these things and to discuss them with other people. I don't force that on on, on myself. But I mean, it's it's interesting though to give it that level or that layer. Uh, of thought, I guess. Well, well, culture is what we are. What, what, what else are we besides culture? You know, like mm-hmm. at, at the end of the day, everything that we see in day-to-day life, the way our society is set up, the perspective that we have on it, the politicians, the economy—that—that's all got a lot to do with with the, the culture that we exist in, because it completely determines our perspective on everything. The world is a funny place right now. You know, when you, when you talk about Edgar being, you know, understanding, you know, that he his stature. Or whatever that he had, but still being able to acknowledge mistakes and still being able to have like a uh, an intelligent conversation if someone's having one back at you, you know. Mm. Uh, because I just feel like right now everything is so polarized. It's like if people don't agree with these people, then they automatically lump them into this category. And yeah, but I think there's there's always a difference between opinions uh, and thoughts as, as well. It's like the, the great director Christoph Schlingensief said that once. Uh, I, I wish there'd be more people who have thoughts, but everything I hear is opinions you know and i think that's the, he said that about like 15 years ago but it's obviously i think it's got a lot a lot worse and out times unfortunately yeah i guess that no that's a good i like that i like that phrase that's nice because I guess that's the difference now is, is I feel sometimes people are just afraid to um, have thoughts, <laughs> you know, like because yeah. because you should you should feel in a safe, uh, safe to share thoughts. It's the same as like sort of like dreams and stuff. Like if I if I say a dream or a dream I had, it's unfair to be judged for those things because, you know, you had no control. It's just a here's a here's a thing that popped into my head, whereas a, an idea or an ideology is a much more fixed thing. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that obviously that's precisely why that is happening as well no? because I think that the problem and the advantage uh, of a thought is that it's always under under revision you know like I think mm-hmm. if anybody would ask me about my political philosophical views so that's the best answer I could give as well under revision yeah. <laughs> um, obviously within within a framework of certain moral standards that I would always defend and probably would have defended 20 years ago uh, already as well however the problem with opinions is opinions are fixed uh, and it's a lot more uh, about creating an identity and I think that's why people are doing that as well because everyone is scared the world is changing and what we then need is like a strong identity that prevents us from any risk of having to readjust our existing thoughts well that was phrased much better than I could have put it <laughs> so uh, let's uh, let's talk about the future of Tangerine Dream man I mean uh, what's uh, what's coming up so we have um, some concerts in June and July and October and November so in, in June we be um, 
going to play in, in Berlin in uh, October we, we have a concert in the Netherlands I'm back in Berlin in November then we are going to re release the next uh, album um, called Quantum Gate end of the year fall autumn and uh, Edgar's autobiography is a book uh, is, uh, will be released on uh, June the 6th is it a biography or an autobiography autobiography yeah okay so like when was that was that written right up till like the end like he was working yeah, on that which, I mean which I think it's, it's actually I think it's actually from what I've heard it's not like totally complete but I think uh, it's it's enough that it would be worth uh, publishing it so then once Quantum Gate comes out what happens you're just are you do you plan on continuing uh doing more sort of tangerine dream like studio albums or is it going to be mostly about live performance um how what's the what's the plan going forward with the the you know the the tangerine dream legacy probably going to give different answers to that, to that. i maybe toss them first <laughs> so so um <laughs> after quantum guy we will, yeah we will playing concerts and doing the next album yeah and my answer would be maybe a, slightly tiny bit more reluctant but I think I'd, I'd like to see uh, simply as well how people are going to re react to this you know because I think it would be pointless if everyone says well okay you, you've tried to finish the, uh, the, these sketches but you totally failed this sucks you know so um, <laughs> I think it probably it depends a bit on that uh, a bit as well so maybe I don't care what people think <laughs> but, but it was a, a, a healthy outlook yeah, but it's, so for it's me a, it's, it's Edgar's decision that we should carry on and so I will years decades no I'm a coward <laughs> 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 but I mean the reaction so far I mean like has it been I, I, I've only seen positive things I mean I know sometimes when these things happen with bands I mean we've seen it happen before where like certain members change and people have their opinions and stuff and I know there's something about the vibe of Tangerine Dream that I I mean when I was looking online just seeing people's comments under videos and things like that I did I just it just seemed like people were just happy to see these things carrying on and seeing the performances yeah. seeing you guys perform the, the, the tracks yeah I, I don't want I mean I'm sorry I'm, I feel a, I feel a bit bad now because I don't want to be ungrateful I mean the, the, the response oh no 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 that's not <laughs> that's not how I took it I just response so far has indeed been, been very uh, encouraging and I think partly that's, that's also because um, a very nice nice quote actually from from Peter Baumann that we uh, worked with for a while uh, as, as well who was uh, one of the core members in the 70s he said that Tender and Dream is not a band uh, but an idea and an idea can continue for 100 years and beyond and I think that's probably why in our case it makes more sense than if this was like a traditional band like with Jim Morrison or someone like that who you simply mm. can't replace Wait, Raymond Zarek has a different opinion <laughs> Raymond Zarek who? the organ player from the Doors <laughs> cool though man i mean i i think it's uh i think it's neat because i mean obviously you know when when these things happen sometimes some of it's out of your hands like you say i mean you can say you know edgar wanted this to happen and this is the way it is but you know sometimes fans are fickle <laughs> who have their own ideas and they get stuck in certain eras or they get i mean that happens a lot with like hardcore fans of things right i mean you see that across movies and i mean obviously because i'm a Again, like a child of the 80s, right? So I'm one of those people who complains every time they make a live-action movie of a cartoon I liked and they fuck it up. You know, 
I'm that guy, right? So I'm the guy who's complaining about Transformers and all these things because, you know, it's not, you know, so. But th- what I'm saying is, of course, you know, in spite of all that, the majority of the stuff that I had seen was all just positive you know, people happy about about the project carrying on, and I think that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, it is indeed. It yeah. is. I'm very grateful for that. So, what do you guys do? Uh, what do you guys do in your downtime, man? What is downtime? Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. As I said, uh, the funny thing about uh, maybe covered the the uh, main theme of Stranger Things this year mm-hmm. and uploaded it. Um, so this this was part of one of the free time. So this was between two concerts was one or two, uh, two days off and all of our equipment was in the trailer outside but um, we binged watched um, the Stranger Things on Netflix uh, yeah. <laughs> the, whole, the whole night and it sounds very fam- familiar and <laughs> um, the, mu- <laughs> the, the music they were used so we, we're trying to um, destroy the whole time continuum system to cover them right <laughs> and uh, that was part of the free time but Stranger Things is a great example of sort of the synthwave scene because obviously now we're seeing in popular culture then projects that are inspired like this sort of these 80s inspired things. I mean, where they they go to all the trouble of, you know, the way the title sequence looks and the way the, the music sounds and stuff. And I think it's really cool because it's much like sort of synthwave and retrowave. It's a way to be nostalgic and be new sort of at the same time. Which is why I like it, because I'm a very nostalgic kind of guy, but sometimes certain things from your childhood are shit. And when you go back and revisit them, you go, oh, this sucks. Like this, I mean, it happens, it happens all the time. Yeah. So it's always neat when there's sort of ways to simultaneously be nostalgic, but at the same time be new, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But I, th- I think nobody probably will come up or has come up in the last 20 years with a completely new never ever heard before sound but there's certainly a lot of interesting music that's basically used certain reference points from the past and and did something with it and that I think that's always my criteria that I would say I I don't really like personally stuff very much that replicates or attempts to replicate the past one to one because I just find that boring and you can just Mm -hmm. take the original as well but I do like stuff where someone takes an influence from the past and just does something with it that adds a little bit of spice here and there you know and it finds like a new perspective on it uh, how much of your individual time is devoted to tangerine dream versus your uh, your own stuff 86 <laughs> percent So it's not like 86.5 or? (laughs) This was my answer. Okay. In my my case, We got to be very precise here. So if we got 86, I want to hear, you know, like a 78.43. Do the German. Yeah. After these two, two shows uh, last night and basically carrying the gear uh, onto the boat and then afterwards from the boat back into the van as well, it actually feels to me like 122.5%. But realistically, it's probably <laughs> a, a, a lot less. And you know what it's like. It depends on what, what needs to be done. So sometimes uh, we have a, we've got a lot of stuff to do, like when we, we want to release a new EP or whatever, or when the, the Quantum Gate album was still unfinished, uh, then we, we had to work a lot on that, obviously. Then there are periods where things are a bit more relaxed. So it just just depends. So, t- uh, Torsten, since you're like a big giant, do they just make you carry everything? <laughs> <laughs> no. <clears throat> no. Please be honest. <laughs> yeah. So, 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 no, maybe yeah. 
Eighty-six percent. Eighty-six. Cool. Well, I mean, we can probably wrap this up. Right. Um, but it was it was really fun uh, talking with you guys. Is there anything else that uh, that I didn't touch on that you want to mention? Or that was pretty comprehensive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want you want to talk about what you had for dinner? Or we can, we can make this completely comprehensive. Oh, we've we've ordered dinner and it's upstairs in the in the living room waiting for us, which is why we. We'll probably appreciate uh, um, having a bit of time to eat now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's cool, man. Well, thank uh, thank you guys so much for talking. This is awesome. I look forward to uh, thank you for having us. to uh, all the stuff coming up there, and I think it's pretty cool what you guys are doing. Thank you, thank you. And uh, I hope you have a lovely uh, German evening. What's the weather like over there? <laughs> Clearly, contradiction in terms, isn't it? <laughs> 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 is there a track is there a tangerine dream track you want me to uh, end the the show with so maybe one one track from from a new album uh, called uh, mirage mirage of reality sweet man and this is this is from quantum gate um, quantum, key. quantum key which is the ep that's preceding quantum gate ah gotcha okay cool man well let's listen to that that sounds awesome and uh, and thank you guys again for uh, for talking to me okay thank you very much thanks so much yeah
and that was Tangerine Dream. Uh, that was a good one, man. We got into some some deep topics. Thank you very much for listening. Tune in next time, and uh, that's all I got to say. Oh, I guess I forgot. Uh, you can also remember to uh, follow me on Twitter. I am at Andy Last on Twitter, and also check out the Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash beyond.synth.podcast and the SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash beyond-synth. And there's a YouTube channel. There's all that shit, man. You can find it. I keep I, All the links are all over the place. Or you can just yeah, use Google and cheat. It's all good. Anyways, guys, thank you very much for listening to Beyond Synth and tune in next time to Beyond Synth. <laughs> the best synth wave chat show there is. Oh,